You are listening to The Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio, your source of off-road news and highlights. Welcome to a special episode of The Last Aid Station. This is Steve Hamlin, and I am very, very excited that Carrie Lowry has been kind enough to share some of her time with us to join me for a special interview. Carrie's been racing mountain bikes for 15 years, has won in a variety of disciplines, including the NUE, Ultra Endurance Series, Trans Rockies, Enduro Races, Queen of Pisgah, XC Single Speed National Champion, second in Marathon Single Speed Nationals, and many others, with no signs of slowing down anytime soon. We covered a lot of ground and Carrie shared quite a bit about past nutrition struggles, overtraining battles, and many other topics. I really appreciate her taking the time out of her schedule to join me, and I think you will enjoy what she has to say and learn some good lessons at the same time. With that, we'll jump right into things. First, I want to start by saying thank you to Carrie Lowry for coming on the show today. Thanks for joining me, Carrie. Oh, thank you for having me. I think we have a lot that we can talk about, uh, but I think it's a good idea if we can maybe start and tell people a little bit about your background and how you got into, into mountain biking, and then maybe we can kind of talk about the end of season after that. Sure. Um, I guess it all started back in 1999, long time ago, it seems now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my husband uh, was out riding with his uh, with his buddies, and I was coming off uh, a lower back injury and having been a runner uh, before, just a, a recreational runner. I was looking for you know, a new avenue, and seeing my husband out there, I was like, hey, we'll, we'll give this a shot. You know, I've always ridden bikes, but... Uh, you know, never really on the trail. Um, so got a bike and, and got started and, uh, I was, was pretty hooked. Cool. Cool. It, what, at what point did you start, uh, racing? Probably four months after I started riding. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I am a, a uber competitive, uh, thanks to my dad's genes. And, uh, I think the first race I did, I was, I started out as, as a sport racer, so I was doing cross country, uh, okay. local local race, and uh, man, it was it was brutal. Uh, it's probably less than fifteen miles. I think it probably took less than two hours, maybe a little over two hours. I can't quite okay. remember, but uh, I just remember after that race, I was I was dead, and my husband had come with me, so uh, on the way home, I actually fell asleep. <laughs> I would equate that race to probably it was as tough as the Matahe is today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the what kind of bike were you riding then? I was on a specialized uh, FSR, um, shorts. Uh, I did have a jersey. Uh, and uh, I guess they were called toe clips. Uh so everybody else was in clipless pedals, but me, I was in tennis shoes and toe clips. Oh, I remember trying those shortly before I went to clips. <laughs> yeah. But the bike probably weighed about 28 pounds, you know, 28, okay. 29 pounds, something like that. At times have changed, right? Oh, yes. So what? at what point um, did you start getting into the heavier races? How did it progress from there? Well, that uh, was quite interesting because I – was you know for a few years i just did these these lap races on groom courses you know less than two hours in length and never had ridden anything you know during training anything longer than probably about two two and a half hours uh and was on my local trail system one day uh, climbing up climbing up and uh, an older gentleman was coming down and he stopped and we started chatting and uh his name was Zeke Lilly. Um, a lot of people know that name. And from there on, um, he introduced me into the the endurance scene. He was like, uh, that day he said, hey, you need to come on one of these little rides that my friend and I do. So I was like, shoot, yeah, it would be nice to ride with, with somebody. And uh, next week, he took me on a, a four-hour death march. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this is this still in your first couple years then? This was in 2004 or five, I believe. Okay. 
and I was hooked. Um, it was one big loop, you know, it was, it was more of an adventure. And I was like, I kind of like this kind of riding. And then he's like, well, let's do O-Ram next year. So I'm like, okay. I had no idea what O-Ram was. I'm not sure you know about it, but it's no. off-road assault on Mount Mitchell over in uh, uh, Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina. And okay. it is a pretty grueling 62-mile uh, mile race. Wow. And that was my first uh, race in the uh, endurance scene. I think it took me about seven and a half hours. Okay. And I was scared to death more than once on the descents. And not afraid to say I walked a lot. <laughs> but I was bit by the uh, endurance bug. Was it the adventure side of it? Yeah. Yeah. It was just the, the fact that, you know, you feel like you're going somewhere. Um, yeah. And you get to see so much rather than the, the same route or the same tree, you know, lap after lap after lap. Yeah. So at, at, shortly after that, then, you had started racing the NUE series, right? And you actually won one of the years of the NUE? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that was a long time ago, too. I think it was uh, 2007 that I, that I won that series. Maybe it was its second year or third year um, going. Yeah. The uh, and then did you you actually at what time did you actually turn pro? Um, I think I turned pro two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and carried a pro license for a few years, but yeah. you know. Really, the, the expense of that license and the number of races, number of USA cycling races I was doing uh, after a couple few years, I was like, "Yeah, I've been in the pro scene. This, that was pretty <laughs> cool. Let's let's drop back down to expert and not spend that huge chunk of change each year." Yeah, and I pretty much do the same thing. You know, yeah. race the same races. I gotcha. I gotcha. No, it makes sense too because that was some of the questions I one of the questions I had for you in it is, is what type of races you prefer? Cause there's a lot of great races out there that, um, you know, are non, you know, sanctioned races. And it, if you're on that adventure scene and the NUE races and Mata Hayes and, and whatnot, right. You're, you're racing outside of that, uh, most of the time anyways. Right. 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 And this year I only, you know, I had to pay to get a license just to do one race. <laughs> But that was it, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So and it's and it's pretty cool to say, yeah, I you know I raced pro for a couple of years. You know, that's I think anybody who's in this long enough, you know, really desires to to you know, maybe have that license for just to you know as a benchmark or you know a bucket list item. Checking the box. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of brings me around to what what are your favorite types of races to do? Because you do a lot of different racing. If I correct, you just did some enduro racing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I decided to try, give that a try this year. I just love riding my bike and just trying these new, you know, avenues is, is uh, interesting. You know, I like to do new things each and every year. I'm not the type just to, you know, hit the same races year after year after year, except for a few that uh, I really do enjoy. Um, okay. So my favorites are, uh, I like, I pick each year, I'll pick a new state, and okay. a new state that's got a, a hundred miler in it. And like this year was the Mott Hay. Okay. Um, and next year will be uh, the Margie Gessick. I thought I saw your name on the registration up there. Yeah, Danielle Musto turned me on to that one. She I said guess. she says ride up my alley. Lots of rocks, lots of ledgy drops, things like that. I uh I will see you out there at that one. Yeah, yeah, I saw your name on the list too. The uh I've ridden up there a couple of times and uh there's there's some great trails. So yeah, I, I would agree. I it, it's probably right up your alley if if uh Hay is is another race you you liked, so yeah, those that, you know, are going to push you to your absolute limit, you know, like like the Mata Hay this year. There was several times I was wondering, you know, am I going to finish this thing or am I going to turn into a, uh, a heat casualty? Yeah, well, the, the heat was 
terrible. I, I think my Garmin registered like 105 or something like that. So, Ditto. And then the other style of racing I like, um, I guess I got into it uh, through Eric Weber, um, the race promoter for Pisca Productions. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that uh, as well. His adventure style racing, okay. um, particularly uh, PIMBAR, which stands for the Pisca Mountain Bike uh, Adventure okay. Race, which is you team up and uh, you don't know ahead of time uh, where the checkpoints are going to be. And the race is to you know, collect as many checkpoints, including one or two mandatories, in the shortest time possible. And, you know, he, he puts in, you know, trails that uh, are off limits or roads that are off limits. So you've got a map. And he says, go and you race and collect as many checkpoints as possible. You, uh, you sign in at these checkpoints. And, uh, you know, then you have to race back because there is a uh, definitely a hard cutoff. Or if you miss it, you are DQ'd. So, <laughs> wow. and, and so it's, I, I like that just to, 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 another way to, you know, explore. And a couple more of his races in that King and Queen of Pisca series are very similar to that. Okay. Long, long, brutal, and uh, um, definitely very challenging. Now you did that race last year, and did you actually win? Were you the Queen of Pisgah last year? Yes. Yeah, I, uh, the first two years, actually. Okay, um, wow. That, uh, I was blessed to uh to take the win there uh, because you have to you had to do every race um you had and uh there you know there's no no drops so everything had to work perfectly okay is that is that a race that you probably see yourself continuing to go back to based on the adventure side of it for sure yeah, yeah. um actually next year that's one of my big uh Big things on on the list is to uh, attempt to conquer P thirty six, which is not in the part. It's not in the uh, series. Um, it's an early February race, and okay. uh, it was originally uh, named the most horrible thing ever. Um, <laughs> but in order for him to get his his uh, Forest Service permit, they told him he needed to rename that race because they didn't. <laughs> So he renamed it Pisca 36, and uh, it's a 36-hour race, and you've got wow. uh, six stages, um, and you get a card right before each stage that tells you what you have to do, and you've got starts at midnight Friday night and runs through Sunday at noon. And uh, wow. attempted it last year, and was close to to finishing it, um, but on the second night I got made uh, a Poor, poor clothing choice, and uh, got hypothermic, and wow. had to c- come back to my vehicle uh, mid-stage and uh, thaw out, and it cost me a bunch of time. And I went back out in the morning, but uh, and finished four of the six stages. Um, but just to tell you how hard that race is, there was only uh, one finisher that year. Wow! Out of about thirty, I think. Holy smokes! Yeah, that's an adventure. So you're gonna so, and you're gonna go at it again. I have to. That was a DNF. I I have to. Yeah. Finish what you started. Yes, exactly. There you go. So you also did this year. The did you do the vapor trail this year? Oh yeah. How yeah. was that? That by far was my favorite. Yeah. Because um, I went in. I went uh, into it not viewing it as a race, but uh, just as a. A, a long adventure and okay. where I, where I fell at the end of the day, you know, so be it, uh, you know, cause of the altitude, you know, that race, I would say 90% of it's above 9,000 feet. Okay. And, and so I knew, I mean, you know, most people who do that race are, um, from, from Colorado. Uh, but there was a group of us that, uh, a group of us lowlanders that went out and attempted um, and it was just spectacular. It was a new moon, um, not a cloud in the sky. So when we started um, uh, that on, this day was 10 p.m. Friday night, no, Saturday night. Uh, once you're climbing up to some of the tops of these mountains, it's almost like you could just reach up and grab the stars. It was just amazing. Really a, a fantastically 
run race. I mean, each of the aid stations they had were the people were just awesome. The, the food was plentiful, um, and the support was overwhelming. Definitely, is that that's definitely a bucket list race then for somebody that's in adventure racing. Exactly. Yeah, one day I'd like to go back out and actually race it, um, but that's going to involve a, a little more time off work and some acclimation. Yeah. What so? What advice would you have for somebody who does not ride at elevation but wants to check that one off their bucket list? I've heard, you know, a lot of stories, you know, if you go out um, a day before, two days before, for me, what works best for me is to go out, you know, a week before. I wish I could go out four weeks before, but that just doesn't work. So getting out there a week before and just, you know, acclimating a little bit. That seems to work better for my body than one day or two days before. Um, and just not not burning any matches um, because once you, uh, burning a match out there is equal to burning, you know, 20 matches back at home. Uh, once you get in that red zone, it you're pretty much done. So you just got to stay out of that. That's why I just kind of chose it as a, as a ride more than a race. Very, very much a managing the pace right right from the get-go right and the other thing I, I noticed too is uh um at altitude uh it, my body fuels better on uh simple simple sugars as opposed to a lot of fat a lot of protein and i'm not sure what the physiology of that is but another thing i recommend is you know they have burritos at, at the first aid station yeah <laughs> <laughs> like a one pound burrito. I oh, to wow. Massive. Just to, um, just to sit in the gut for the next 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me, I stuck to, you know, a sports drink and, uh, and gels. Um, it, is that different than your normal racing or? Um, usually like with an adventure race, I'll, I'll pack uh, a lot of, uh, more complex carbs, uh, sweet potatoes, dates, Prunes. Yeah, I use prunes. <laughs> I'm old. I can. <laughs> uh, but things that take a little bit longer to break down and, and maybe, you know, some bars like uh, the Lara bars, which have a, you know, pretty high fat content at the adventure racing state, um, okay. which is, you know, definitely heart rate's a little bit lower. You're, you're stopping, you're starting. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess with more of the marathon and the hundies, I'll, uh, exist on uh, an electrolyte drink and gels. Okay. What? Um, so, kind of jumping around a little bit. Sure. How, how did you finish up this year then? As far as what types of races are you know? Do you have a an off season? It kind of sounds like maybe you don't because you're going to do some racing in in February. But well, I usually try to take off um, November and December and just kind of you know. JRA along, yeah. um, but I did have a, a couple Enduros and I kind of consider that JRA because it's only a short period of time that you're actually racing and the rest of the time you're just, you're hanging out and slowly pedaling back up to the top sort of thing. <laughs> so that was fun for me. I really enjoyed that style of racing and I did not realize just how hard an effort you can put going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> how, you know, I've never done any enduro racing or or anything like that what's the technical difficulty difference between you know those downhill runs on the enduro races and what you're used to in the xc or you know 100 miler stuff i would say the the of the ones i did this year um they're on trails that i've ridden before so it's it's not too technical i mean there's no big uh, huge rock features or, you know, drops or, uh, things of that nature. It's just, uh, in the descents or the time sections run about five to six minutes. Okay. So the, the technicality of it is just going all out and just taking a lot more speed, um, than I probably would normally do, say, if there was a, uh, like a marathon event there. Okay. Do, do you do you run the same bike then, or you run a no? No, I decided I would uh, try an, an enduro specific bike, so uh, I got a uh, specialized um, enduro um, with a 
you know, slack uh, head tube angle, uh, lots of lots of squish, um, and the twenty-seven uh, five wheels, which okay. I really I really do enjoy. Um, I really can't tell much difference between those and the and the two niners two niner size um, as far as uh, going downhill fast. Um, I do notice a little bit. Um, they tend to be a little slower through. Uh, technical rock gardens that may be level or slightly uphill they just don't roll over as quite as well but when you're bombing downhill it feels like a, a big wheel to me okay and i love the i love the uh, 66 degree head to angle uh, that definitely gives you a lot more confidence when uh, uh, the trail gets gets steep and just knowing that i can ride that fast and learning how to ride that fast on a on an easier to ride bike for that situation helps me to just transitions over to my cross country rig and knowing that I can do it um, gives me a lot more confidence with that steeper head tube angle on a, and, and you know, less travel on a, a cross country machine. I was going to ask you if, if it, if you thought it would complement the, you know, your, the XC and, in, in uh, marathon distance riding. Yeah, um, I, I think it does, uh, especially for me now, um, being in my mid-40s. Uh, may have plateaued as far as the fitness level, so I've got to find other avenues with which to, you know, try to gain that extra extra edge and just, you know, trying to gain time on the downhills, I think, uh, does help. So speaking of that, what, and you've been racing and riding for a long time now of 15 plus years what what's changed for you as far as training and recovery coming back from from injuries and and what what's what's getting more difficult what's getting easier and when and what do you what do you see happening as in the future um i guess the biggest thing i see is uh the recovery time is uh much more crucial uh Early in my 30s, um, with my training schedule, you know, I'd have three weeks uh, uh, intense effort and then one week rest. Um, so a three on, one week off kind of cycle. And now I'm on, I'm on a two week on, one week off cycle. Okay. Um, just to allow the body to recover. It just takes longer. Um, I also notice that I need more sleep. Uh, I try to get nine hours of sleep every night. I'm one of these people that's usually up between five and six. And uh, by the time nine o'clock rolls around, I am ready to crawl in uh, kind of up with the sun and down with the sun. <laughs> do, do you think nutrition plays a much bigger role as well? Yes. Um, I think uh, as your body ages, uh, just your ability to, ability to absorb the nutrients um, diminishes somewhat. So you've got to, I just find that I need to eat super clean in order to be at my best. Uh, I kind of consider myself like a, oh, like a NASCAR type engine, you know, that needs the, the top notch fuel as opposed as opposed to, uh, you know, perhaps a, a, a diesel engine, one of these diesels that you can throw in, use peanut oil and it'll, it'll run. <laughs> what, what type of diet do you typically, I mean, are you, uh, um, uh, a high fat diet? Uh, are you carbs? You stay away from carbs? Um, just use them for training. I, uh, I'm, I have celiac disease. Do you know what that is? Yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's an autoimmune, um, uh, disease related to, uh, gluten. Um, yeah. you see a lot in, in, in wheat and, uh, even oats, barley, things of that nature. So, yep. I get any bit of that, I am I'm sick for six weeks and done. <laughs> as far as any sort of training, yeah. uh, effective effective training goes, and it took me quite a while to figure that out. Um, I started having issues in 2008, 2009, and sought um, help from several doctors who had no no idea. And it wasn't until my coach at the time said, "Hey." It may be a gluten thing. Why don't you try going gluten free for you know, for a few weeks and see what happens? And at that point, I was I'd already had my gallbladder out. One doc said it was my gallbladder, so I had gallbladder wow. surgery. Yeah, 
and nope, still feeling bad. Uh, another doctor told me it was inflammatory bowel disease, which that's pretty nonspecific, and said, here, you know, take this medicine, it'll fix you. Nope, that didn't work. And so Coach Linda Wallenfels was the one who got me on a free. And within a week, I was like, damn, she hit it right. <laughs> on the head uh and so been gluten-free ever since and that's kind of transitioned into more of a paleo diet over the last few years okay yeah so I mean, it's gotta be hard to manage because so my uh my oldest son was uh, allergic to uh gluten when he was younger and he kind of grew out of it um but that that's hard to manage it how do you manage that with the training and racing and making sure you're getting the right diet to fuel? Yeah, races? it's it's pretty crazy. The prep I have, like the prep work for just going to um, uh, North Dakota to race you know, the Mata Hay. Yeah. Uh, so, so a, a Yeti cooler helps, <laughs> <laughs> which my husband got for me. Um, and two, one to two weeks prior to these big adventures, I start preparing food. Um, and because I don't eat out, um, I, you know, I don't eat any of the hotel foods. Uh, so I pretty much take it all with me because I want to make sure I have what I need rather than relying on a source okay. out in Medora, North Dakota. Yeah, especially these remote places. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I take a week's worth of food. So it's uh, quite challenging, but hey, I like challenges. Yeah. Speaking of that, when you do travel for those races and all that uh, prepping and whatnot, do you usually have, you know, does your family usually travel with you with support or do you have to hit some of them on your own? And because, because you I mean, you, you're a veterinarian as well, right? And I mean, you've got to manage work and family and how do you, how do you put all that together? Yeah. Well, fortunately my job, um, my bosses are, are very flexible, uh, with me going off on these adventures. So that's really, really not an issue. Um, and my family is very supportive. Uh, I have a daughter. She's 13 now. When she was earlier, like younger, um, uh, like your children, we would go to races. Um, but she's a, a teenager now, so that's not her thing. <laughs> so she's just as happy to, to hang out at the house with Daddy or, or go hang out with her friends for the weekend while I go and, and do my thing. Um, so... They, they come to a, a couple, they, they do come to the, the local races, but, uh, you know, like the Vapor Trail or the Mata Hay, um, that's, you know, usually I do that uh, alone or I'll go with my uh, best riding bud, Zeke Lily, who also partakes in these uh, crazy, insane races at the age of, at the age of 67, I might add. Wow. Yeah, he did the 50 at the Mata Hay. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. the all, all of those races are, that was a, that was a brutal day. Yeah. So Zeke and I, we're kind of our training partners, traveling partners, racing partners. He's a, he's a, he's a great guy. And, uh, um, that, uh, allows my husband to be, you know, not so worried about, um, about me being gone from home, you know, on my own. Yeah. It would be tough to get out there and have, and, and traveling on your, on your own to do them. So. What have you seen change in the sport the last 10 to 15 years? I mean, what, I guess what is the biggest changes you've seen around the sport yourself, maybe more particular uh, for women in the sport? Ah, it's, and that was one question that uh, you had emailed me that I really tried to, to think long and hard about and trying to remember back, you know, when I first got started, you know, how, what were the, the race size, the competitiveness of the, of the ladies. And dang, it doesn't seem like it's really changed all that much. I mean, back then I would, I would hit races that would just have a few, few ladies. Um, and then there'd be some that would, you know, 20 would line up. And today it's kind of the same thing. Um, I really haven't seen an, uh, a percentage increase in the number of uh, women racing. Uh, probably more I've seen more women riding than okay. racing. And that was one of the – you always see a, a big push to get more women into the sport. And, you know, do you, do you think there needs to be that sport? I mean, why if, if there's more women riding, um, 
Why do you think maybe there's not uh, more women racing? I think uh, there's uh, several factors, and and one, I mean, it's kind of it's mountain bike racing is kind of non-traditional, and it's inherently a, a more dangerous sport than you know your traditional sports, basketball, softball, you know, things of that nature. And women, by nature, you know, we're more nurturers than wanting to just be hard chargers and go crazy nuts out on the trail. Um, so they, we like to ride, but we don't necessarily like to, um, just to, to race. Um, and one of the things I've heard from several ladies, why they just prefer to, to, to hang out with a, with a bunch of other ladies and just ride some, and shred some beautiful trail is when they get in these races, these mass starts, um, um, these, crazy men <laughs> who are, you know, and it's the, it's, I have to say it's the, the men that aren't fighting for the podium. Um, those, the podium, the podium dudes, they, they pass you and you're like, wow, there they go. You, you know? don't even know they come by. They, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But these ones that are racing for, you know, 56, 55th place, they'll knock you down. Oh. Um, I mean, I've been cl- close to been taken out by some, but I don't care to rub elbows. Yeah. Um, not at all. That's just me. And I guess there's other women out there that are like that too. But for the most part, um, that, you know, the average woman, female racer, you know, doesn't like that. And that's definitely uh, a deterrent to getting into these races. Yeah. It's a, it is amazing. The, uh, the level of, uh, competitiveness that, uh, we can we can take it to <laughs> yeah yeah i mean why why race and uh, get killed when you can just go ahead and, and ride those same trails and have have just as much fun or if not more fun yeah i mean it makes sense so D- so i don't know if there needs to be a push to get them into racing um you know and hopefully the the, uh, the nika uh series will will help develop some some young girls just to get them, you know, riding the trails and another avenue with what, you know, to, to stay fit and, uh, um, stay healthy and enjoy, enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you if, if the, if the industry really needed to, to put that push out there and what good and bad things do you think that the industry, you know, and or promoters are doing around that? Uh, I mean, I think it's, it's a push just to push more product for, you know, it's good marketing for these, these big companies. I've ridden, uh, I've had a couple women specific bikes in the past, um, just because I was sponsored, um, and, and got a good deal on the frame and yeah, they're great, but I didn't really notice that much difference between them and, you know, the, the previous uh, male-oriented frame that I've been riding. Do you currently ride a women-specific bike then? or No, nope. no, not at all. Mm-mm. The only one I have is a uh, uh, my road bike, which is a, a specialized Ruby that I've had for six years. Okay. Jumping around a little bit, from the, the racing side of things and in, in your mountain biking, what are you most proud of? I would think just... Uh, but going back to that first cross country race, um, when I first got started, uh, riding and racing, I remember I was on my second lap, which was my final lap, uh, climbing up this little rock garden type of trail that at that time I thought was, was pretty technical. And an expert racer, uh, by the name of Ellen Carroll, who still races today, she was on her, third and final lap and passed me like I was sitting still. (laughs) And I said to myself, one day I'm going to ride like her. And to be able to go from somebody that had to walk little sections of rock gardens to now that that place and that trail, which I still ride today is, you know, I don't even think about it. You know, I'm through it in a matter of seconds Uh, to be able to come from, the level that I started at to where I'm at today, riding, you know, drops and 
going through rock gardens that if my mom only knew what I was driving, <laughs> <laughs> she would probably, uh, I don't know, hog tie me and, and burn all my bikes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just proud of what I've been able to achieve over the years. And hopefully I can continue to, to improve on things as, you know, I head on into my 50s, 60s, and potentially, you know, even 70s. Yeah. I could be the first female Fred Schmidt. Yeah. <laughs> what, long, long term then, what, what uh, I guess I got a couple parts to this question, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, you sound like, I mean, you're just going to ride and keep riding, but what, what's your long-term goals with it? Do you think it'll change over the next five to 10 years? You continue to keep checking off these races and I think I'll always, yeah, definitely, uh, be a racer. I mean, my goal is, you know, as long as it's fun, once it starts not becoming fun anymore, then, you know, I'm just going to ride. Uh, hopefully that'll never happen, but you know, who knows? Um, so yes, racing, you know, I see another 20 years in the future. Um, but I kind of, like what it. I, what I'd also like to do is, you know, I see all these high school teams popping up and I'm like, dang, you know, I would love to be able to encourage, um, kids in my town to get out there and ride. Um, but right now with, with my schedule, with my work, with my daughter, with my family, I just, I don't have that amount of time that I can, um, put forward to, um, doing something like that. I'm not, I'm not one that's going to half-ass anything. Um, so yeah. hopefully in the future I can, you know, maybe a little less work, maybe retirement from work, and maybe our family will, you know, be in a financial financial position to where I can, you know, perhaps start a, a local high school team. That That would be fantastic. There has been you're starting to see a lot more of that. And I know here in Minnesota and in Wisconsin, you hear, you know, quite a bit more of the high school teams starting up. Yeah. You know, and today, today with technology is great, but it's also, I consider, you know, somewhat evil. You know, these kids aren't getting out and doing the things that I did when I was a kid. I mean, I always had a bike. Uh, my first bike was a, was a Huffy and I absolutely love that thing. Yeah. Um, and today, you know, I, kids don't have bikes, you know, they have, uh, iPhones, <laughs> yeah, tablets and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, my daughter has one, you know, and I get frustrated with her being on the social media scene and, you know, sometimes we'll go in there and just yank her out of her room and say, Hey, we're going for a ride or a hike or something. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that, that these high school mountain bike teams might help get kids outdoors and, and, and stay fit Yeah, and realize that it's outside is a pretty cool place to be. Do you ride with technology then? Other than, uh, a Garmin, you know, with, uh, heart rate, you know, I do ride with a heart rate monitor. I do okay. ride with power, um, on my road bike. Um, so I can email these items to my coach. Um, but other than that, you know, no earbuds, no music. I want to hear, the wind in my ears, the leaves under my feet. You know, I want to be able to hear that the tires grip the trail and know just at what that point is before they break, you know, that sort of thing. So in the, in the short term, uh, going into to next year, what's your, you know, big goals for next year or your, you know, your big race, as you mentioned, a new race, the, the Margie Gessick that you, you're doing, do you have any plans to, to get into do more NUE races I really like the fact that they're opening up the 50 mile series um, and trying, trying to figure out how I could do four of those. And right now there's only three that I can do. So, you know, I'll probably do those three. And if something opens up then I can do that fourth to be a contender, well then so be it. But if not, oh well, Um, that, but a couple of the other things I'm I'm focusing on, um, you know, the P36 in February, which I need to cross off. Um, there's a little race up in Virginia, um, kind of an underground thing. Um, you can do it any time of the year you want. Uh, I pre-rode the course with Sue Haywood, um, last month, uh, over two, over two days. Uh, and it's called the ring of fire. 
It's a, it okay. used to be a hiking trail, but it's it's some of it's more uh, been been machined for not necessarily machined, but worked for uh, biking. But there's still it is quite rugged, and uh, it's only seventy miles in length. Um, there's only been two, three gentlemen that have completed it under the twenty-four hour kind of cutoff. Okay. Uh, wow. So it's it's brutal. Um, it took when Sue and I just kind of when we pre-rode it, or I would say pre-rode, pre-walked it. It uh, it took us uh, about 20, 19, 20 hours of the course of two days. How many miles is it? Seventy. Seventy. <laughs> yeah yeah just uh a little thing jeremiah bishop and sam corber i think they attempted it um a couple years ago and uh could not finish it wow um, i think it was a there was a weather issue okay but to know that those two big strong dudes yeah no kidding <laughs> so that would be that would be sweet to be able to to knock that out and i think you know given the right conditions and no mechanicals be it body or bike um it can be done so, so no entry no entry fee no payout just you know just to say that i've done it good old-fashioned riding yeah I, I thought i had uh read something somewhere about you having to recover for some overtraining uh or an injury or, or whatnot can you tell us about that a little bit Oh, yeah. Just hopefully to help prevent anybody else from falling into the hole that I did. Um, so it was last year, uh, 2014. I was, I was on fire. I was feeling great. Uh, feed, you know, feeding my need to, to race and, and doing well. Um, so I would, I raced from, you know, 10 months out of the year. Um, some, you know, two or three races a month. Some were back to back, a race Saturday, a race Sunday. Um, wow. These just weren't, these just weren't cross country events. These were endurance events. <laughs> wow. And I dug myself into a hole I almost was unable to climb out of, which I did not realize until the very end of the season when I was just starting to, you know, do my just riding along and my heart rate would not come up. Um, I had no power in my legs. They felt like lead all the time, even off the bike. Uh, I was having periods of insomnia, irritability. You know, I was like, wow, you know, what is this? I kind of knew in the back of my mind, but I was hoping it was something else. You know, something that a, a, a pill, a medicine would fix. But it has ended up, I, I was definitely a, far beyond overreaching and into the overtraining uh, department and pretty close to the point where, you know, you could have uh, adrenal failure. Wow. Uh, that, and that's something that a lot of racers can never recover from. So my coach told me to take six weeks off the bike and I was more than happy to. Um, <laughs> I got my house, the interior of my house painted. <laughs> And a lot of other things done and just kind of slowly um, come uh, early March, kind of slowly ramping it back up and feeling feeling a heck of a lot better. Uh, uh, and fortunately, I was able to, to climb out of that hole. But but what has happened or I think what has happened because of what I've done is now it takes much longer for me to recover. And it's not just because I'm a year older. It's because I pushed my body beyond what it was capable of recovering from. Wow. Do you think it just like the the buildup of the dehydration? And because I've read before that if you get yourself into some severe states of dehydration or uh, heat stroke, it can take you years to re to recover from it, and you may not actually fully actually recover for it, from it. I think for me, it was more of just. Um, a muscular breakdown at the at the cellular level, um, you know, because the little individual units of your muscle spindles, um, a portion of them actually kind of shortens or dies during intense exercise, and you have the ability to uh, regenerate um, 
those spindles to a degree. If you go beyond that, um, those spindles will actually shorten to a length that will prevent you from being able to, uh, you know, fire at your highest capability. You know, you won't be able to come back at that level of fitness that you were previously just because of uh, death at a cellular level. So what what do you think led you or I guess what do you think let you take it that far? Was it just just pure excitement and just kept uh, of having a good year and it just kept snowballing or what what were the yeah. signs that you you know were were maybe ignoring? Well, I mean, I was doing great. Uh, I was, you know, super fit um, and having great results and, you know, kind of like a, a, I'd say it, a heroin junkie. Um, You you feed off that. Mm -hmm. You need that to keep going. And you find yourself needing more and more and more to to have that same kind of, I guess, endorphin release. Yeah. So, yeah, I was addicted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I yeah I definitely need to go to uh, uh, enduro I guess enduro mountain bikers anonymous or something. Like that. <laughs> what what type of races were you stacking up on Saturday Sundays and then the the next weekends and and whatnot? Well, I did you know I did the King and Queen of Pista series. Yeah, um, and those are just brutal in themselves. And then on top of that, I was also doing a. Uh, a gravel grinder series over in North Carolina. Okay. Um, and so there were three weekends in the fall that like I would do the, uh, a gravel grinder, a five hours gravel grinder. And then the following day I did an endurance cross country race that would last four hours. Um, and wow. so yeah, I was racing, you know, 10 to 12 hours over the course of the weekend. and I stacked too many of those up. What are some of the the signs, I guess, if you know somebody else getting in the, themselves into that because you get that excitement and high and weekend to weekend, and because you were having success in your racing during that time too, right? Right, right. And, and, and that did it just all come to a head, you know, one week or it was kind of over the course of uh, uh, a month when I did my last two races. The last two, I knew, I felt kind of off. I just wasn't. Um, able to nail it as hard as I thought I should have. Yeah. And I should, I should have took that as a sign then, but you know, when you're addicted, you, you just, you ignore that. Um, and it wasn't until I completely fell to pieces on a, uh, a local ride, um, that I knew that I had to back off or I would never be able to race again. What advice would you give to yourself, you know, knowing what you know now? back 10 years ago uh, about okay. racing and in, in the sport for yourself? Well, first one would be, you know, listen, listen to your body. Um, and don't ignore those little signs. Don't blow them off. Um, and it, you know, over the course of 15 years, you get, you get to know your body in and out, um, uh, to where, you know, those little signs, you, you should be able to, to say, Hey, I may need to back it off. I may need a little bit more recovery time. Um, I may need to go see a doctor and, you know, have some blood work run. Um, so just, yeah, and listening, listening to those little telltale signs. Um, and then the other thing is nutrition. I mean, I still, um, I have to apologize to, uh, Rich Dillon, but, uh, Pop Tarts is not, uh, an adequate race food for pre-race <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> but, you know, you just, you are what you eat. You've got to, to, to fuel right in order to, I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, if you want to, uh, you know, push yourself to the, to the highest level and hopefully hit that podium every single time. Um, nu- nutrition is just as important as training, uh, just as important as recovery. Do you have a nutrition coach as well? Myself. <laughs> just what you've learned over just the years. Just what I've learned over the years. And uh, coach, my coach, Linda, she's uh, taught me a lot as well. I, I just bought one of Linda's training plans, actually, myself. Yeah, she's she is amazing. She has helped me get in tune with my body, I think, more than, than anything else. Uh, 
I started uh, coach. She started coaching me in 2009. Um, full on, you know, meaning you know, weekly uh, communication uh, over the phone, daily communication via email. Uh, and I, she was my coach for five years. Um, and then after that, I, I still use her training plans. I've used her training plans this year. This was the first year that. I did a couple consults with her and uh, stacked a couple of the 12 week plans um, for this season. So I felt like, you know, I kind of knew after the last five years, uh, you know, to how to read um, my power files and how to read my body and, and you know, change things up if, if I needed to. And I'll, I think I definitely will continue to, to use her next year um, in this ridiculousness that I've chosen. Definitely, it'll be a challenge for her to work up a plan for me. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, uh, jumping around and I guess having some fun, wh- where's your favorite place to just go ride? I would say, um, the uh, Snake Creek Gap Time Trial series, which is will be in its 12th year this year, and I've done it. Um, all 12 years, um, started out as just a tiny little grassroots race, 50 racers. Um, I think, the payout was like, I think I got $45 for my, for, for second place maybe. Um, and it's grown over the years into where there's, you know, 500 racers. Um, payout is equal payout for men and women in the open class. And, uh, first place is $750. So it's, it's a, awesome race and the trail system is is exquisite i mean there's a little bit of everything um it's down in dalton georgia which is about an hour and a half drive for me so i like to ride that trail quite a bit um lots of rock gardens which i love rocks (laughs) and lots of climbing which i which i enjoy and some some good descending now that my descending skills have uh, gotten a little bit better. It's it's fun just to to let it go. So that was have to be my favorite place to to ride locally. You know, I, that's cool. In jumping back to the the technical stuff, and and as you get uh, you know older, I, I like to hear that because I I've also heard people you know say things as as they get older, maybe they shy away from some of the technical stuff or the the rock gardens and and that type of thing, but from your standpoint, you're getting better at it still, right? Yeah, I, I still, and I still think there is definite room for improvement and I can continue to, to uh, improve my skills on those, on the rocks. But yeah, that's, I love the technical stuff where you have to uh, just, uh, you know, maneuver and use balance and, uh, you know, really work the bike uh, through the trail as opposed to, you know, flat, fast courses, which I enjoy, but, that's where my weakness is. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not necessarily like a, a roadie or a, a power type racer. Um, throw in some technicality, and that's where I want to make my gains. Do Do you road ride much? Yes, I, I a lot of my training is on the road, just because the uh, the nearest trail system is about a 45 minute drive, and I can't always do that you know, with my schedule. So yeah, the, the 20 minute time trial efforts i hate (laughs) 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 i know they would do they i know they're good for my body but oh my gosh it just kills me (laughs) what's uh what's the favorite bike that you've uh you've ever owned or ridden the um niner jet nine rdo okay um that was uh yes not my first two niner, but my first two niner full suspension. Okay. Um, and it, I just feel, I mean, it's like, let's say if you've seen the movie Avatar. Yep. That's what that bike feels to me. You get on it, you plug into it, and you just, you know, you're able to control it at will. It just, it just mates up with me so perfectly. Is that what you're riding today for? For XC type stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've had that bike uh, for four years now. Wow. Do, do you ever ride a hardtail anymore then? I do have a, a, a Niner hardtail as well. That uh, first, you know, like some of the uh, 
shorter cross country races, I'll use I use that oh, as well as for uh, gravel grinders. Um, I've also got a, a titanium um, single speed built by a local builder uh, that uh, I, I do race. I, I do enjoy my single speed training as well as my racing. Unfortunately, I haven't done, been able to do as many single speed races this year, just various circumstances, but uh, hopefully next year I'll be able to redeem myself at the Marathon Nationals. Yes, we hadn't actually gotten to that, and that was on my list to, to touch on. So uh, XC racing, marathon racing, uh, adventure racing, uh, the bucket lists, and also single speed. And then last year or a couple years ago, you actually won the uh, single speed XC national championship and second in the marathon i did that was the xc was fantastic it was up in the big bear resort up in pennsylvania and it was nothing but rock garden after rock garden after rock garden awesome course i loved it (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then uh that same year i went out and did the uh marathon national race out in idaho and uh came in second of course to rebecca rush who uh schooled me pretty good uh, but i have to say that i had ridden i, I made that as a as what i call a bitecation yeah and so i gone up there the week before to kind of acclimate because it is at altitude okay. and i've ridden put in 24 hours of ride time leading up to the race so hey not bad yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm hearing there potentially some more of that in the the future then. Yeah, for sure. It's it's always nice to you know have one of those stars and stripes jerseys hanging in your either in your closet or on your wall. Yeah, heck yeah. So out of all of that, is there is there any other type of uh, racing out there that that you haven't done yet that's kind of on that list that uh, do you want to check off? Not that I can think of. Um, I, I'm not too fond of the cyclocross racing. Um, never, never done one of those, and I don't think I ever will. I mean, for one, it falls during my supposed off season, which definitely at this age I need an off season, and <laughs> I can't see myself spending that amount of money for a short, intense race and then spend twice as long cleaning my bike up afterwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'm a little lazy on the bike cleaning part myself <laughs> I, I just want to go out and, and ride do you have uh do you have anybody you want to thank i mean uh any sponsors or, or anything while you're on the show oh for sure um yeah i've been very fortunate and i've had uh good sponsorship over the over the years uh uh, my local bike shop, the outdoor store, has been with me since since day one. And I, uh, my mechanic there, who also owns the store, is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I live in a town, 13,000. Um, we've not really changed in the last 10 years, population-wise. Uh, and so it's just a tiny little bike shop, but one awesome mechanic who's been able to to, to work with with the many bikes of mine and uh some have had some issues and he's been able to, to just put his head down to it and figure them out it's great yeah that's great uh, and then my other sponsor super sport athletic where um uh is is the team that i've been riding for the last uh three years um okay. and directed by a wonderful older gentleman uh, of course industry nine best wheels ever uh christopher bean coffee something that gets me going each and every morning chamois butter endless bike company uh, expedo pedals uh, which since i've started with them i've not broken a pedal since and i do i, I do a lot of banging uh, backcountry research who just just recently came on board so thankful for them and uh, swift with socks five percent faster cool cool the um if anybody wanted to follow your racing um you know what's the best way for them to to do that um it would be my uh, blog which is uh my name carrie lowry dot blogspot 
Okay. Yeah. And we'll, and we can put that in the, uh, the show notes too. So I, I've read, uh, some of your race reports and, uh, I definitely recommend checking out Carrie's blog and her race reports. She writes some good, some good right race reports. So. And hit me up on Facebook or, uh, Instagram. Okay. Yeah. And we'll, we can, we can, uh, check the show notes for, for different links. And, uh, do you have anything else you want to add Carrie or, or send off the show with? No, I, I think, uh, we've, we've covered quite a bit. Yeah. I do appreciate you, uh, having me on board. It's, uh, makes me feel very humble. <laughs> no, I, I'm, uh, extremely excited that you were able to come on, come on board with the show. And, and I think a lot of people can relate. And so I, it's, uh, I think a lot of people be interested in what you have to say. So I, I really, really appreciate your time. So we've taken up about an hour of your time and I, I really appreciate it. So, uh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Steve.